Will you please make your way with me in your Bibles once again to the fifth chapter of the Apostle Paul's letter written to the Galatians, where this morning we are going to be looking together at just the first six verses. Galatians 5, 1 through 6, and you can find that passage on page 1144 in your pew Bibles. This morning, as I said, we are once again turning our attention to the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians, more specifically to the beginning of this fifth chapter. We're nearing uh, the end of the book. Last week, we finished up the end of chapter four, and we spoke together about Paul's comparison of the son of the bondwoman, the bondwoman being Hagar and the son of the free woman, the free woman being Sarah. And Paul tells us there that we are to cast out the bondwoman and her son. We are to realize that those of us who have embraced the Lord Jesus Christ by faith and who have embraced him alone, we are indeed now the children of the free woman. And thus we are heirs of the precious promise of Almighty God. We are born to the woman of freedom. And so we are to disassociate ourselves with the woman of bondage and her son. Paul again makes the case that we who indeed belong to Jesus Christ, we are free in him. We have been given freedom because because of Jesus Christ and his work upon the cross. We have been liberated. We have been set free. And so as those who have been set free, we are not to go back into bondage. Back to those things which we try in vain to somehow be justified before Almighty God. In this case, it was the law. We are not to cling to the law and our supposed ability to keep it perfectly as a means of somehow satisfying Almighty God's wrath against our sin. Rather, we are to run to Jesus. We are to cling to God's gift of faith in Him and in His righteousness. His perfection. His work alone is the only means of ever satisfying the wrath of a perfect, holy, altogether just God against our sinful, wicked natures. Paul has railed against all forms of self-righteousness in this letter. And he has continually called upon the Galatians to embrace Jesus Christ alone. That is to trust Christ, the promised seed, by faith and faith alone in order to be justified. And as he continues toward the end of this letter, he is continuing to ramp up his assault against basing our justification upon any other thing than faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, solely because of Almighty God's grace alone. Every time that I look at this letter to the Galatians, I find myself absolutely amazed at the veracity with which the Apostle Paul attacks the sin of self-righteousness. Not just in this letter, really, In many, if not most, of his epistles, yet we see it really come out here. 
And at the same time, I wonder if I should be amazed at all. Beloved, let me ask you a question from the very outset this morning. Is there another issue that is so detrimental to the church of Jesus Christ and its peace than this one? You know, I think about the evangelical church in this country or even closer to home. I think about my own faith or the faith of the people that I love. And I realize that the Apostle Paul had to rail against self-righteousness over and over and over again. And even though he says it until undoubtedly he is weary of repeating himself to the point where we perhaps are weary of hearing it. The truth is, self-righteousness is still alive and well in the church of Jesus Christ. And I am convinced, beloved, that there is no greater threat to our growth in grace. There's no greater detriment to our joy There is no stronger catalyst to fan into flames our worries and our anxieties and our fears than this one. Do you understand why this is so critical for us to grasp? I want to tell you something this morning, beloved. It's one of the reasons I can't abide with just plain sour-faced Christianity. God did not save you to increase your misery. Do you believe that? Are you a miserable person? God did not save you to increase your misery, and yet it is everywhere in the church of Jesus Christ today. Think for a moment about why why all those books that so often top that Christian bestsellers list are there. I know I pick on this one all the time because it's one everybody knows. Books like The Prayer of Jabez. It's sold by the truckload. It's still selling by the truckload. Because those kinds of books tell us in some way something that we can do, something that we can lay hold of, something tangible for us to somehow obligate God. They give us the skinny on what it is that we must do in order to stay in God's good graces. And the shelves of Christian bookstores are filled with those books that tell us as Christians what we need to do in order to kind of break on through to the other side. To get that thing that we have been searching and searching in vain for. To get our next spiritual to find that peace that has proved just a bit too elusive for us. And do you know what? The sad truth is those things will always fail to deliver. And so we go back again and again to scour the land looking for the next big spiritual thing. Looking for another promise. Perhaps a better promise. A promise that will give me some tangible way to get God in my corner, if not even in my debt altogether. They rarely point us away from ourselves towards the Bible's prescribed way. 
faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, solely because of the grace of God alone. Sure, they must include it somehow. They must somehow incorporate Jesus in this gospel and culture, and they usually do. But it's always, first there is Jesus, then there's this formula, this thing that we do that sells. Faith, a certain knowledge, a hearty trust, well, that's just too simplistic. It's too easy. Give me something to do. Give me something to sacrifice. That will set my troubled mind at ease. Something that will set me apart and convince everyone else that I am indeed the real deal. Something that will convince myself that I am most certainly legit. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's the exact same lie directly from the mouth of the father of lies that we hear throughout this very letter, isn't it? Those false apostles, they included Jesus Christ in their version of the gospel. They were not opposed to Jesus. But they, of course, needed to add to him and his work. It cannot simply be that you trust in Jesus Christ. God will not let you live your life in that kind of freedom. You need to trust Christ and be circumcised. You need to trust Christ and respect holy days and observe them so that everyone will know for certain that you indeed belong to God. And then our trust is misplaced in those things that we do. And Jesus Christ and his righteousness become something other than the glorious message of the gospel to his church. The only true message of hope and freedom and life to those who are living in darkness. It in fact reduces it so much that it becomes no gospel at all. Yet we try in vain to somehow earn the favor of God with the things we do, always clinging to our own supposed abilities to please God with all of our discipline, all of our supposed observance of the statues that he set forth. Show everyone we are in fact dedicated, that there should be no question about where our loyalties lie. And so we, we play the game, ignoring the clear teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and ignoring the repetitive pleas of the Apostle Paul. And as we continue in this letter, beloved, I plead with you to consider this when we hear Paul's pleas become repetitive. They are repetitive to a purpose. There is a reason that he cannot let self-righteousness go. It is the antithesis of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And rather than simply brushing it aside as if it cannot be a message for you, examine your own heart and ask yourself, why does this message need to be so continually repeated? Am I self-righteousness? Am I self-righteous or do I trust wholeheartedly in the Lord Jesus Christ and his grace alone as being sufficient to reconcile even a wicked, selfish man like me before the face of a holy God? Beloved, please do not make the mistake of thinking that I or Paul, for that matter, is not speaking to you 
this morning. Because I can tell you, if you think you're above this kind of thing, then I want to be very, very clear. I am absolutely speaking to you. Paul is absolutely speaking to you in the word of God this morning. You don't have to wonder. I'm not trying to be veiled in my approach to the sin that I know so easily ensnares all of us. I want to tell you, self-righteousness is death to peace. It's death to joy. And it's death to rest in the Christian life. And we must kill it when we find it. Or we will miss the glory of the gospel message all told. And we will miss the blessed freedom that is ours because of Jesus Christ and him alone. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, I'd ask you to turn with me again, the book of Galatians chapter five, and I'll read verses one through six. Hear now the word of our Lord. This, of course, is Paul speaking. He says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. This is the word of our Lord. May he always bless the reading of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the opportunity we have each Lord's Day to sit under the preaching of your word, and we pray that your spirit would attend that preaching this morning. I pray, Father, that your spirit would fill me, that I would handle your word, not only correctly and accurately, but in a way that reaches out and fills your people with the hope of the gospel. I pray for all of us, Father, as we hear your word, that we would uh, respond to conviction, that we would repent and run to the arms of Jesus that we may experience the joy of eternal life even now in the brokenness of this body, living in the midst of a broken world. Father, may we do it all for your glory, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned to you last week, as Paul gets to the end of this letter, his language becomes more and more emphatic and direct. He has now clearly gone above and beyond the call of duty in painting for these Galatians a very clear picture of their justification before Almighty God. How it is accomplished, how it is applied, and how it changes us from the inside out and not the outside in. He's called out their self-righteousness, their return to their own roots and committing idolatry, holding up even something like the law of God as an idol to be bowed before. And I would say their version of the law of God as an idol to be bowed before. He has made that fantastic illustration of the law and the promise. 
is even drawn the comparison of the bondwoman and the free woman, giving them yet one more example of the law and the promise to aid them in coming to a proper understanding and perspective. And so here in chapter 5, Paul is now, as he's closing this letter out, calling them to action. He says to them, stand fast. That is, dig in your heels. Draw your proverbial line in the sand. Get up and move into action. No longer sit idly by while the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ is being twisted and perverted by the enemies of Christ. Rise up. Stand up and make your stand. It's the language of one going into battle. It's a call to come to the realization that this next point is everything. And it's worth giving up your very life for. Stand fast. And for what? Stand fast for what? Paul says, stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made you free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Jesus Christ has made you free. And Paul tells them, look, after all that I've told you concerning the greatness of the pure, unadulterated message of the gospel, rise up for war and know that Christ has died to set you free. He has made you free, but that freedom itself was not free. It cost Jesus Christ his very life to get it for you. That's exactly what he did. He has set you free from the tyranny of the law. He has set you free from the ultimate effect of that sin, which so easily ensnares us. He has set you free from the sting of death, and he has mercifully given to you peace and comfort and joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not now, with all of this in mind, go back to that yoke. But stand up and fight for that costly freedom. You understand, it came, it was purchased for you at an incredible cost. We have to know that. We are so accustomed to thinking about the dangers of freedom, the dangers of liberty, That we hear this kind of message in the church and often the first thing that we want to do is go on damage control. We start to make excuses for Paul. We we say things like, surely Paul, you didn't mean to say anything. You didn't mean to say that kind of all-encompassing liberty. Slow down, Paul. This is crazy talk. I mean, be careful what you give to the mob because they may just take it. Steve, we need to be careful here because you will lead people to think that they are free to do anything they want. Surely you do not mean that. And the self-righteous among us get their hackles up 
And they prepare to stand fast for the antithesis of what Paul is calling on us to stand fast for here. And they go instead on damage control. They stumble and apologize for the word of God. Why? Well, because we know how bad the bad can be, right? We never include ourselves in that bad group, but we need to keep the really bad on a pretty short leash or, you know, they'll run wild. You see where this is going, right? Look, Paul has just spent a great deal of time And you and I have been talking about it for something like 13 or 14 weeks now. The gospel of Jesus Christ should and in fact is absolutely amazing. It should be and it is absolutely mind-blowingly amazing. It is amazing if you are someone who knows your frame. That is someone who understands the depths of your own depravity. One who knows that despite what you are, that the Lord Jesus Christ came down to this fallen world, that he put on this fallen flesh, sin accepted in his case. He actually suffered the horrific death of the crucifixion. He suffered the brutality of the mockings and the beatings, and he did it all so that you, could be reconciled to God. So that you, who deserve the penalty, can actually live in liberty. Not just live, but truly live free. Live in the liberty of knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ Finish the work that you need at Calvary. Live with the peace that passes all understanding, the peace that does not torment your conscience, but looks at the wonderful grace of God as entirely sufficient, despite you. Beloved, do you understand this morning the Lord Jesus Christ died for your freedom? He suffered And he died to make you free. How is it that you and I should ever be afraid to hold that freedom as precious in the sight of God? How is it that we would stand fast when we perceive an attack upon our own ability to crush the church of Jesus Christ with our own version of the law? How could we, who know, ever return to the law? Ever return to our inability to keep it? Jesus Christ came, and he perfectly kept it for you because you are not capable as a son or daughter of Adam. You understand? You, no matter whom or what you might think you are, are not capable. And it is certainly not at all pious to pretend that you are. Do you see the offense of ever thinking that you are even a little bit capable? Who of you could drink his cup? 
Jesus Christ's cup of suffering. Could you, could you in your mind even drink some of that cup? The point is, beloved, self-righteousness is antithetical to faith in Jesus Christ. Period. It's not simply the safe road. It's not to err on the side of caution. It is, at base, a denial of everything that Jesus Christ did and claimed to do for you to cling to anything less than him, less than his righteousness. Do you believe that? Of course, beloved, I pray that we do. Paul continues here with this battle cry. He says, Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Now keep in mind, Paul is uh, speaking here in the context of everything that he has already said. So he's not saying that if you are a male that has been circumcised, that you need to know that Jesus Christ is of no use to you. But he has made the case repeatedly that if you have received the sign of circumcision as the seal all, the completion of your justification before God, then you have trusted in something other than the Lord Jesus Christ for your justification, and he will profit you nothing. Reliance upon anything other than faith in Jesus Christ alone is antithetical to faith. It is another gospel, and it is a denial of the pure message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, by the way, if you do trust in the law for your salvation, then let me just quickly remind you one more time that you had better abide in all of it. We tend to forget that so easily when we're being self-righteous. Not just the parts that we know, not just the parts that we at least think we know, but all of the law of God. You understand, it's not graded on a curve. There are no points for an honest effort. It is all or nothing. And the word of God says that you will absolutely, 100%, without a doubt, fail. What is the price of failure to be righteous according to the law? If we are going to live by the law, do you know? Is it that you will only receive some of the reward? That your reward will somehow be diminished because you came close? Is it really to err on the side of caution, to play it safe by trying to impress God with your vain attempts at at this kind of holiness? Listen to the holy, perfect word of God as it speaks to that very thing in Deuteronomy 29. I, I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy 29. I don't do this very often. Turn to Deuteronomy 29. And just follow along as I read beginning with verse 15. Again, this is the word of God. But it shall come to pass. If you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to carefully observe all of his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, that all of these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the country. 
Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Cursed shall you be when you come in and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on you cursing confusion and rebuke in all that you set your hand to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the plague cling to you until he has consumed you from the land which you are going to possess. The Lord will strike you with consumption, with fever, with inflammation, with severe burning fever, with the sword, with scorching, with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish. And your heavens which are over your head will be bronze and the earth which is under you shall be iron. The Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust. From the heaven it shall come down until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. You shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your carcasses shall be food for all the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and no one shall frighten them away. The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt, with tumors, with the scab, with the itch from which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart, and you shall grope at noonday as a blind man gropes in the darkness. You shall not prosper in your ways. You shall only be oppressed and plundered continually, and no one will save you. You shall betroth the wife, but another man shall lie with her. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but not gather its grapes. Your ox will be slaughtered before your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Your donkey shall be violently taken away from before you and shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies, and you shall have no one to rescue them. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people. And your eyes will look and fail with longing for them all day long. And there shall be no strength in your hand. And beloved, that is only the beginning of the curses for breaking one. (laughs) Do you understand? I beg you today. Read the rest of this chapter about these curses of breaking the law of God, and be warned that it gets far, far worse. I promise you, even the coarsest of sensibilities will become absolutely offended at what the Word of God says concerning the curses for the one who breaks any of the commandments. And all of this will happen and more at verse 58. You do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book. You may fear this awesome and glorious name, the Lord your God. You say, well, where are you going with this, Steve? You who sit here and think that you are righteous, do you hear the word of God? Do you hear 
the seriousness of your offense, your sin, even the so-called little ones, those respectable ones, before a perfectly holy and just God. Do you really believe that you are capable of righteousness? And to think that some think that by clinging to just a portion of the law that they are choosing the safe route. It's better to err on the side of caution, Steve. Does this sound like a safe route? You are not erring on the side of caution. If this is truly your plan, what you are doing in truth is running headlong into a storm that will result in your complete and utter demise. It's not safe. Paul says, if this is you, look at verse four. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. There is no hope outside of that grace. It's not that you have Christ and you keep the law and hope that one of those or both of those together is certainly somewhat better than neither. If you have embraced the bondage of the law, you have turned your back on the grace of God and the freedom of faith in Jesus Christ. It is faith in Christ or death. It's never both together. It's freedom or bondage. One or the other. Beloved, we have to see it. Paul says in verses 5 and 6, For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. You understand? Paul is saying in essence, don't be a fool. You who think that circumcision is the equal to perfection, which is exactly what the law demands, don't be a fool. You need true, perfect righteousness. Perfect righteousness. And you're not going to get it by being circumcised. Beloved, we wait for the hope of righteousness. Just like Abraham trusted God and waited and it was counted for him as righteousness. We await the perfect righteousness of another. The Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous. That is our hope. That is why we don't have to despair in the curses of the law. We're not called to live and and justify ourselves that way. We are called to run to Jesus, to be united to him by faith, 
and to have his righteousness as our own. That's redemption. That is our hope. And it's truly the only one worth having. It sounds so simple that we find ourselves getting aggravated when someone counsels us to just trust God, right? I've told you about that in my own life. When things are bad and somebody says that to me, I'm, my hackles go up because I'm a sinner. We think, you know, it's not really that simple. What do you know about my problems anyway? Of course I trust God, but I still need to figure out what God wants me to do. You know the line, we've all thought it or we've given it at one time or another. But what could honestly bring us more peace than to trust that the word of God is true when it says that we are clay in the potter's hands? That he will indeed work his perfect plan in us and he will indeed bring about his own perfect glory in our lives. Trust God for your salvation. And if you trust anything other than Christ, if you still cling to the law in your own sick misunderstanding and representation of the depths of your own wickedness, at least now you have an idea of what you face when you choose to live by the law that way. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I hope that you are always and forever amazed at the grace of Almighty God and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are, then I know that the gospel is indeed sweet music to your ears. The only thing frightening about liberty in Christ is thinking that you may have truly taken it for granted. Beloved, live your lives as those who are eternally grateful for the amazing grace that is ours in the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.